at the end of the book, after all of these evil things have happened, there's that final line. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did whatever seemed right to him. And as as we leave this book, we leave without much hope. And we're wanting there to be another story that brings us to the king in Israel. So we'll just have to wait and see if that happens. All right, guys, before we get started, I do have a a question for you. Top three candy bars. Payday, 100 grand. I don't believe it. No. (laughs) (laughs) All right, you think, AJ. Well, I can't eat any of these, but when I could have eaten them, I probably would go Snickers. Mm. One or three? Ooh, I'm not sure that I can rate. Okay. Just a grouping of Snickers top three. is is probably number one. Okay, I really like Butterfinger, even though I can never get it out of my teeth after I eat it. True, but the third one, can I do? What is the one with the coconut and the almonds? Almond Joy. Oh yeah, yep. Everybody came, came to like that later in life. Not a kid kid one. I agree. I first had that, yeah, like five years ago. And I was like, why is everybody always dogging Almond Joy? Like so many people trash it and like it's the worst ever. It's really good. Yeah, I don't dislike it. I do like Mounds a little bit better because I think that sometimes the almonds are a bit stale. Mm. And Mounds is just the same thing without the almond. No, I think isn't Mounds dark chocolate? Maybe it's darker chocolate. That sounds good. I don't know if I've ever had one. Yeah, Yeah. I I think Mounds is Almond Joy but with dark chocolate and no almonds. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would say Kit Kat is one of my top Ooh. candy bars. Okay. Big Kit Kat guy. Yeah. Also a big Reese's guy. Those are delicious. Chrysler car. <laughs> yeah, break me cream. off a piece of that. Um, Apple sauce. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I think Kit Kat, Reese's. Ah, there's got to be another one. I can't oh, think Reese's of it. Though. See, Kit, Kit Kat would have been in my top one, but I haven't had it in a long time, and I'm pretty sure there's like gluten in the wafer could so be I've been avoiding probably. the wafer ones like reese's sticks those are so good but i i, I avoid yeah. them now i don't know That's now bummer. now do peanut butter m&ms count as a candy bar because you can buy them in the candy bar aisle right. in like the little pack i'll allow it Thank i you. mean that is do i guess it. that is a gray area because m&ms it's would like definitely be in my top three yeah, yeah. And I, I like the creamy peanut butter filled ones. Yeah, those are delicious. Or the pretzel M&M's. Both of those. Yeah. That, that's a great, great thing. The, did you ever have the crispy M&M's? No. They're very good. Huh. Yeah. I was on, years ago, big pretzel and crispy M&M kick. Nice. Yeah. Pretty pretty solid. Nice. I used to be on a big kick. Kick? Kick-cack. Kick, kick, kick. I used to be on a big kick of mixing chocolate chips and almonds, like just putting them in a bag and mixing them up and just popping some of those. That sounds good. Which is essentially Almond Joy Sans Coconut. Oh, yeah. You know what? Years before they ever invented the pretzel M&M, I would do that. Ratio of three regular M&Ms to one pretzel... 
at the same time in the mouth, yep. delicious. And Dude, then they came out with it. Yeah, so. I do remember like youth group Super Bowl party. There was always that bowl with M&Ms and pretzels. Yeah. Like mixed together. Yeah, it's a great bowl. Yeah. I'm also a big uh, peach ring guy. What? I think those are so good, well, but you can only have like one or two at a time. Mm-hmm. I guess I've never had them. Ah. That's, well, they got to be better than those peanuts, the circus peanuts. Yeah, those are gross. I tried one of those once as a child and threw up, <laughs> as in like vomited. It was disgusting. Also underrated candy, those little dots that slowly change color on the long sheet of paper. You know what I'm talking about? They're, they're just like stuck to a piece of paper. There's right. little dots of like sugar, basically. The thing you like stick the little no. white thing into and lick? No, it's just, it's, it's like a it's like a long thing, of like receipt paper or something. Like it's not, <laughs> but that's what it looks like. And it just basically has different colored dots of like sugar candy on it. Weird. And you got to like eat them off the paper. What was the thing... The fruit roll-ups? Yeah, those are good. Yeah, I think they're gross now, but I used to like those. Oh, those are good. I also used to do pixie sticks all the time. Oh. Just, like, awful. I don't know why any company should have ever been allowed to make that. If you can't beat them. Sweetums. They're like, what? (laughs) (laughs) That was was some of the funniest stuff on that show, how, like, corrupt that sugar or candy company yep. or whatever it was <laughs> and then they had paunch burger yep which was such a funny name also now speaking of the movers and the shakers in the corporate world are you guys aware of this guy named elon um who had a lot of control in his society a lot of social capital you might say um he was from zebulon and he judged israel after Isban for 10 years. You guys familiar with this this guy? He really shook things up after he took over from Ibzan. That's right, Aaron. He sure did. Oh, wait. Were you thinking about the like the Twitter guy, Elon? No, I was thinking about the Tesla guy, Elon. Oh, the Tesla guy. Yeah. yeah SpaceX. The, guy. I get those guys confused all the time. Yeah. But I can I can understand why when you hear Elon, you're not thinking of Judges 12, 11, and 12. Yeah. But we'd like to change that by the end of this episode. Well, and uh, current Elon, his dad's name is also Zebulon. So it's really easy to get him mixed up. No way. Yeah. Little known fact. Things I, I didn't know. Yeah. Why should we be paying attention to this Elon in these two verses? Well, I would suggest that this Elon is more significant to redemptive history than Elon Musk. Well, we don't know that yet. (laughs) (laughs) One is in the Bible and one isn't. And the canon's closed. (laughs) Is it? Yeah. Well, we'll see. How much money did old Elon have? It's hard to say. Um, He was rich in other ways. mm. Yeah, very little said about him. He was the 10th judge and his rule was 10 years. That's spelled the same way, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Sweet. I don't have Twitter anymore, so I wouldn't be able to tell you. Oh, man. How controversial. How many times are you going to mention that you don't have a social media account? Now, guys, it's sort of like I feel like a different person, and the rest of you who like 
are you're just living in an a different world. Just sheep. Yeah. Like the sky is bluer, the birds are louder, it's colder. <laughs> because now like I'm not like sitting not in a warm corner of my house uh staring into the into a screen. I'm listening to a different bird, as it were. Mm. Big bird? <laughs> <laughs> um, no. Well, guys, we should discuss our text. Judges. As we pick up in Judges chapter 10, I just want to point out a couple of literary devices that are here. And it begins in chapter 10 where the Israelites cry out to the Lord asking him for deliverance. And then he rebukes them saying that he's done that before, but they abandoned him and worshiped other gods. So in verse 13, he said, therefore, I will not deliver you again. And then in chapter 11, we encounter a situation where there's this guy, Jephthah, who was kicked out of Gilead. And then Gilead needs someone to lead them against the Ammonites. So they come to Jephthah and ask him to deliver them. And he says, didn't you hate me and drive me away? Why would I help you? So it's almost like we have an enacted situation that mirrors the situation between God and Israel in that moment. So I think that's interesting. Um, and then Jephthah is takes up the call. He's going to lead them into the battle. And the spirit of the Lord comes upon him in verse 29. So it seems like both Jephthah and the Lord are going to help the people who have spurned them. But then Jephthah makes this vow that if the Lord brings him back safely, the first person he sees coming out of his house, he'll offer that person as a burnt offering. Now, is that, wait, does the, does the text say person or just the first thing? Or is that just translated as person no matter what? You know, I did not look at the Hebrew, so I'm unaware. But our text says person. It could say thing, you know. That, that could be fine as well. I don't know. Still, first thing that walks through the door. What would so you expect kind of like, to walk through the door of yeah, your house? Maybe your dog. But still, I, I don't playing, know that. playing the odds there. That's, you know, yeah. What, what do you think was going to And his daughter oh. came out. Right. And I know this is debated on whether or not he actually offered her up as a burnt sacrifice. If so, that would obviously be a corrupt thing. And here we start to get like this theme of people who make vows before the Lord that are not in keeping with God's desires, and then they justify further action that is unlawful based on the vow that they made to the Lord. So when you get to the last chapter of Judges, remember all these people made a vow, we'll never give our daughters to the Benjaminites. So then they kill a bunch of people so that the Benjaminites can have wives, and there still aren't enough. So then they they rig it so they can kidnap some virgins who are dancing at a festival. And they're like, and if anybody is mad about it, we'll tell them, you know, you didn't give it to them, so you didn't break your vow. So you do get this kind of like really uh, convoluted moral situations that arise out of the promises and oaths that people make. Um, so I I read it as Jephthah offered his daughter as a burnt sacrifice. Um, you know, I, I think that's what verse 39 says, is that he kept the vow he made about her. So he offers his daughter as a burnt sacrifice. And then these guys from Ephraim 
come to him and they're upset with him and they say, we will burn you or we will burn your house with you in it. So now he's about to be offered up in a sense as a burnt sacrifice. Uh, So you kind of get this trajectory of ironies that take place. And then you get into, in none of it, uh, do you get language that Israel worshiped the Lord until that judge died, and then they returned to their evil. It's almost like they never actually returned to the Lord. And then Samson shows up, and it doesn't seem like anything really great happens there either in terms of the national history. And everything from like Jephthah on, when when God tells the, the people, I'm not going to deliver you, it seems like every thing from that point on just gets worse and worse and worse up till a really gory, gruesome story that reminds us a bit of Sodom and Gomorrah. So our guy, is it Jephthah or Jephthah? It's probably Jephthah. Oh, I didn't know. There's a lot of consonants in there. Yeah, I just kept saying Jephthah, but it's probably Jephthah. Okay. Again, I didn't look at the Hebrew to know how it would have been pronounced because... You know, we don't have we, we we can't all do that every time we read. Yeah, no, totally. I've never done it. Uh, so our guy Jep, um, my text says. I guess that's why I was unclear. It says then whatever comes out from the doors of my house, I'll offer it up as a burnt offering. So again, that's just a different translation. Yeah, let me pull up my whatever that was my uh, Hebrew Bible here for you, Matthew. I wanted to do yeah. some on the spot research. Yeah. Because when it says whatever comes out the doors, it's like, well, maybe there was other things he thought would come out. Otherwise, that's extremely reckless if it's like the next person that walks out is getting chopped. You know, that's that's just a bad idea. So part of me was wondering, is this a lesson in like foolish, reckless vows or promises or something like just to be wiser about it? I don't know. Maybe he had a rat problem and like nine out of 10 times, the first thing out the door would have been a rat. And then it's just, it was bad luck. And it was his daughter. He's like, oh, you got to be kidding me. The one time, the one time. But that probably wasn't it. Yeah. I mean, I think whichever, whoever, I think it could probably go either way, to be honest. Mm. But I think contextually, you're assuming it's a person that's coming out the door. And I don't think this would necessarily be that surprising because they're living among other nations where human sacrifice is not off the table. But it also makes what happened that the fact that he followed through with it worse because you know he's acting just like the other nations around him who do despicable things. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think that's right, but throughout the rest of our reading and judges, you get the sense that these Israelites are worshiping their God in the same way that other nations are worshiping their false gods with their pagan practices. So, you know, you think of this guy who gets the Levite to be his household priest who deals with an idol made of silver and an ephod and some other things. And it's like, how, how does, it's like a syncretism between the, the ancient Near Eastern religions of their day and the worship of Yahweh, perhaps in a similar way to Aaron and the golden calf when when he says, this is your God that led you out of Egypt. It's like they're importing wrong ways of worship and uh, features of worship that 
should be totally absent from Yahweh worship. Uh, so, you know, it's not good, but maybe it's not that abnormal. So um, current day, we don't do anything as extreme as that as far as taking on um, cultural practices, you know, whereas human sacrifice and that type of thing. Do you think there are um, ways, and maybe this isn't like super easily answerable right now, but do you think there are ways that we're kind of blinded to where we enact a Christian life in ways that are actually kind of misguided due to cultural norms or cultural practices? Yeah, I think so. Probably we're blinded to right. the so, most obvious of them, right? Yeah, so it's hard um, to answer that. But, but. but I think like that's not abnormal for Christians. So if you think about 1 Corinthians 8 through 11, there are individuals who are operating in a way that makes it confusing to new Christians, whether or not Jesus is the one and only God, or if the idols in the temple are also true deities, right? So it happens there. Think in the way that we talk about um, our God, or the, or maybe even unintentionally as we relate to people of different faiths and are rightly tolerant of them, we might speak in ways that are perhaps affirming of them and then miscommunicate that we're not participating in it. But I think when we look at larger Christian-ish world in America, there are all kinds of syncretistic type practices. You know, um, it's recently on on the Twitter, which I no longer have, by the way. Um, <clears throat> this is one of the reasons. Um, a book, I forget. I don't know. I can't remember the name of the book. It was something like God is a Black Woman. And some of the things that are in there, it's like grabbing onto parts of Christianity and then parts of a dozen other things. So, I, you know, when we look at Christianity in America, we are in a very conservative, like, segment of Christianity. And so I think on some level we're protected from some of that, uh, but then on another level we should probably be wary of it. Now, I think there are other Christians who would look at us and say, like, man, the fact that you're using modern music with certain kinds of chord progressions or whatever else, like that's importing false worship into the church or something. I I don't think that is truly the case, but, you know, someone might make the argument that we're doing that. Yeah, I mean, it's probably largely not a super answerable question because whatever we're doing wrong, we probably don't realize it. Yeah, and I grew up in a world like, you know, if you had electric music, like electronic instruments in your worship time, or you had like, I don't know, lights or fog, you know, we don't really do that, but they'd say you're importing like pagan elements into your worship. So when are we getting a fog machine? Yeah, I'm I'm on sabbatical, so you'll have to talk to Josh about that one. Okay. Yeah, we should keep going. You want to? Well, okay. I feel like we're almost through judges. Yeah, we haven't even gotten to Samson, the man of faith. <laughs> right? Is he listed in Hebrews 11? He certainly is. Dope. Yep. 
Yeah, it's by his faith he overcame many nations or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it's possible. We just don't know. Like, he may have done other things that just aren't recorded. We get these. Well, he, I think we, overall. We see a few snapshots. Yeah. And we see the Lord working through compromising situations, like when he wants to marry this Philistine Philistine lady. That You know, I think that's the right way to say it. Um, and his parents don't want him to, but he wants to. And the text says they didn't know that this thing was from the Lord because yeah. he was going to use that as an occasion to create conflict between Israel and the Philistines. The way the, I think it was the ESV says that the Lord was looking for an opportunity to, and I was like, that's, it sounds kind of against God's providence a little bit, the way that was worded. I was like, oh, right. so, well, I think there are a lot of things in the Old Testament that would push against a heavily codified system of God's sovereignty. I mean, think about Genesis when God sees the builders at Babel and he goes down to them to be able to speak with them. Like, you sure. know, we get we get kind of language, you know, the Lord relenting from sending the disasters, all these sorts of things are, um, you know, part, part of the way God is genuinely relating to people. Shibboleth. What? Sibboleth. Sibboleth. What is, who is that? Say Sibboleth. Oh, oh, I remember that yeah. now. Okay, yeah, yeah. There's an episode of The West Wing, which is a very good show. You know, I've been told that I should watch that. I, it sounds Someone like told me like that it. I would really like I it. I think you might. You might also not like it because you would get too involved in like trying to poke holes in what they just kind of gloss over as like a like an academic, like like a high-level argument. Or whatever. Maybe, like, but I'm a big willing suspense of disbelief when okay. engaging in any narrative. Okay. Yeah, so you might like it. Um, there's an episode in season two where these Chinese Christians are fleeing, or okay. I suppose Chinese Christians, and they want uh, asylum in the U.S., and the president has to decide, like, like whether or not to take them in. And so he brings some guy into his office and was like, like, let's give you a test of faith to see like if you're actually a real Christian or not. Cause otherwise no way. He, they shouldn't send them back to China. And the guy like, you know, basically just, he's, you know, the president's asking him a bunch of like facts questions. Like, can you name the apostles and stuff? And the guy does it. And then the guy just like, he's like, Christianity is not about a bunch of facts. It's about faith and yeah. faith alone. And, and then the guy actually says the word shibboleth, and the president's like, "Okay, you're legit." Okay, that's that is clever script writing. Then, so did Samson know he was a Nazarite? Did they tell him that? Yeah, yeah. All right. Once yep. he was old enough, they're like, "Hey, these are the do's and don'ts," and he's like, "All right, sweet. I'm going to ignore most of them." <laughs> well, and unlike other Nazarites who could choose when to end their vow, he was instructed to be a Nazarite until his death. And in a sense, he was. He kept touching dead stuff. He he kept violating the vows. Yeah. But, I mean, he didn't choose to cut his hair. True. And he died a Nazarite with his hair growing back without drinking wine or eating the grapes. Is there anything else, I mean, I guess not, anything else written about Samson and any of the other ancient... Second Temple literature, anything like that? 
I'm sure there is. I'm not aware of any. Oh, okay. I haven't read the exhaustive, you know, literature. Okay. I like that the translators went through the trouble of making the little uh, riddle rhyme. Yeah. Eat and sweet. Good job, guys. Yeah. I th- I think that's good translation work. Definitely. Yeah. I'm also going to start using his other saying, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. <laughs> Stop plowing <laughs> with my heifer. As we come to the end of our discussion of the book of Judges, I just want to point out that uh, in chapter 18 in particular, you start to get the condemnation that there was no king in Israel. And by the you know chapter 19, verse 1, it's repeated once again. And then at the end of the book, after all of these evil things have happened, there's that final line. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did whatever seemed right to him. And as, as we leave this book, we leave without much hope, and we're wanting there to be another story that brings us to the king in Israel. So we'll just have to wait and see if that happens. I was a little disappointed they didn't have us read through the end of Luke, which it'll be a great chapter when we talk about it, chapter 24. But obviously, these are some really sad chapters. Uh, The thing that I kind of want to focus on is Jesus's interaction with the disciples in Luke 22, where they're disputing about greatness. Uh, So in verse 24, a dispute arose among them about who should be considered the greatest, And he tells them that the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who have authority over them have themselves called benefactors. What does the ESV say? Benefactors. Same thing. No way. Okay. Um, And he says, it's not to be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever is greatest among you should become like the youngest and whoever leads like the one serving. And he indicates that he himself is among you as the one who serves. And then he goes on to say that I bestow on you a kingdom or I covenant to you a kingdom or bequeath to you a kingdom. And so the way that they ought to operate as kingdom citizens is the way that Jesus operates, which is to lead by serving and to be great by being humble. One thing I was wondering not wondering, but I always found interesting about Luke um, from this passage is when the crucifixion scene, the other criminals with him, I know in one of the other accounts it said the criminals on the cross were also mocking him. Mm-hmm. Then this account says, you know, one was mocking him and one believed. And from Jesus's words, sounds like, you know, was saved from his faith, even at that final moments of his life. Um, I don't know. I don't have a ton to say about it, but I always found that interesting that that little part um, is the only gospel that has that account. I mean, the, then two criminals, this is Matthew twenty-seven thirty-eight. then two criminals were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. Those who passed by were yelling insults at him, shaking their heads, you know, saying the things. In the same way, even the criminals who were crucified with him taunted him. Yeah, so Matthew doesn't articulate the conversion or repentance of the second one. We'll see if our boy Mark does. Um, He's always brief, so I would not think so. Mark leaves everything out. It'd be uncharacteristic of him. Yeah. 
Yeah, same line. Even those who were crucified with him taunted him. And John just talks about himself. Yeah, you know, in, in the passing of the guard for taking care of the mother of Jesus. Yeah, did you look at the John account? No. Oh, well, in that case. Yeah, we there's not really anything. Yeah. I, I just always found that interesting in Luke, that that detail's in there. Um, I don't know, it's kind of cool. Yeah, I think that's great. And I think right right along with that, you have um, even the soldiers start to understand this is truly the Son of God, right? And so they glorified God as well. Verse 47, the centurion saw what was happening, and he began to glorify God. And that's a phrase that's used throughout Luke as people respond to Jesus, as they glorified God because of him. And it happens here at his death as well. Well, we've we've done what we've always intended to do, which is to talk about the Bible, Take over the world, yeah. hang out. Yeah. It's late. It's past my bedtime. This podcast is a ministry of Resurrection Church in Burnsville, Minnesota. Our website is resurrectionmn.org.